For the next few weeks, I want to focus on the second most important designation in the life of anyone. Second only to your status as a saved person is your marriage. And for the next few weeks, we will begin a series today entitled Marriage According to God. Marriage According to God. And part one today will be God's definition of marriage. And let me just go ahead and say this for those that are here in the building and you are not married or that you want to be married one day, or maybe you're here and you're divorced, maybe you're here and you're a widow or a widower, it still applies to you in a most relevant manner, in a most relevant way, because for all of us, we have the duty and the responsibility, number one, to understand what marriage is according to God, and then we have the duty and the responsibility in the relationships that we have with people to point to truth and to be educated as it pertains to what to say how to be a good, godly Christian friend. Some of you are considered wise counsel in people's lives. And so then how do you help a daughter, a son, a friend, a neighbor who's having difficulties in their marriage? And so for all of us today, no matter what our station in life is, we should very closely pay attention to what marriage is according to God. If you're married, then obviously you should pay close attention to this and ask God to inspect your heart and your life. But if you're not married, then please understand this incredible opportunity that you have now to learn and to apply it in your own life. Uh, you should have a very high standard as it pertains to who you marry because, as you will see, God has a very high standard of marriage. If you're here today and you want to be married and you're looking for the right man, you're looking for the right woman, you're praying, you're seeking God's will for your life, and one day you want to be married, it is the second most important decision you will make in your entire life. Save your salvation, your decision to surrender to the wooing and the drawing of the Holy Spirit of God at the moment that you're saved. The second most important thing in your life is who you will marry. It can make you or it can break you. Who you marry is the most important decision as it pertains to daily life and living for the Lord. It's very important that you understand God's definition of marriage, not man's interpretation, not human emotion, and not even what the 2023 uh, standard definition of marriage should be. It's because the origins of marriage come from God Himself. Marriage is His plan. Marriage was His idea. And this is why the world so hates the institution of marriage. If you'll pay close attention, you'll notice that there is a systematic, coordinated assault on marriage. And it's because the very idea of marriage is directly linked to God Himself. And we'll see that in a moment. Marriage has been designed perfectly to fit the plan and the will of God. His will and His plan has even staked a claim on marriage because at the end of the day, marriage is ultimately instituted to bring Him glory. Marriage in all of its beauty and wonder and mystery and even rough times and hard times and and, and sad days and good days and, 
Days where you're ready to kill each other and days where you're ready to throw flowers at each other. At the end of the day, all of that fades away. Boy, it's going to be quiet this morning. <laughs> Ooh-wee. But at the end of the day, your marriage is about bringing God glory. Can I get an amen in the house this morning? It's about bringing God glory. So in his plan... In his perfect plan, he has described for us and he himself has defined what marriage is. And all of that comes, again, from the word of God. Our entire life, if you've been listening to this pulpit preach at all the past 30-something years, you will know and you will understand that every aspect of our lives must be absolutely 100% fallen to itself and, and submit itself to the will of God as explained in Scripture. The Bible is the key to everything in our life, including our marriage. And through the Word of God, God has perfectly defined marriage. Now, let's just be very, very transparent on the onset of this series. Uh, this is a disclaimer. And because I'm doing this, you can't say anything afterwards. This is the disclaimer. That's how those rules work. That's not how it works. But here's the disclaimer. If you're easily offended, or if you're spiritually weak, this will offend you. This is the stuff that these days they will yell in your face for saying, and this is the stuff that they will spit in your face for saying. This is the stuff that causes the world to really become infuriated. This truth from God's Word, not from Winston's mouth, not from Baptist ideology, but from the Word of God, this truth infuriates lost people. But it's... Not that we are right and they are wrong and that is our passion. Our passion is driven by love for the Word of God. Our passion for being right, it, it drives us to be more obedient to the Word of God. Our focus and our passion is not on us being right and them being wrong. It's about who God is and us coming to a place where we thank God that we know the truth and then how we can obey Him even more. But this will offend people. It's just the day and the hour in which we live. But we have a passion and we have a duty to preach the Word of God without fear, without favor. And we owe it to our children and we owe it to ourselves to have a perfectly defined definition of marriage from the Word of God. Would you pray with me? Holy Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, you know what you've put in our hearts. And God, our prayer is now that you would use the Word of God Lord, to educate us, Lord, to show us, Lord, to encourage us, and Lord, for us to come to a place where we say, God, we need you even more than we did yesterday, today. Lord, I pray for every person that's here, every person that's married, every person that wants to be married, every person who has influence on someone who's married. God, would you use your word to change the lives and the marriages of Trinity Baptist Church? This is our prayer. As we seek to bring you glory and honor, hide me behind the cross, use me as your vessel. God, just to preach exactly what you want me to preach. Lord, if there's anything I'm getting ready to say I shouldn't say, Lord, take it out of my mouth and out of my mind. God, if there's something I need to say that I have forgotten, Lord, put it in my mouth that I may say it according to thy precious will. This is my prayer today. In Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. 
and amen. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit this morning, and I'm going to break the barrier of comfortability and what they say not to do from the pulpit. I'm going to do it. Half of you, your heart rate just went up 30 points. But if you're married today in the building, if you're married, or if you have ever been married, maybe your spouse is in heaven, would you stand up? If you're able to stand, would you stand up? Well, there's some people in the back going, really? Yep. All right. Let's look around the room here. Mmm. A lot of people that have been married or who are married, praise the Lord, you can take a seat. If you stood up, this absolutely 100% pertains to you. If you weren't standing and you want to be married, then please take this opportunity to learn from other people's mistakes and heed to the Word of God. So let's define marriage and let's understand that God owns that definition and that He alone is the author of that definition. Go all the way back before you go to even to Ephesians 5 to Genesis 2. It'll be on your screen. This is the 23rd verse of Genesis 2. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. God's design for marriage, ladies and gentlemen, is defined by the word of God as a permanent one male, one female monogamous relationship. It is God's plan, it is God's design, and it is God's law for marriage. God has ordained and He acknowledges sexual conduct only in a marriage relationship between a man and a woman. And according to the Word of God, according to the inerrant, infallible, holy, inspired Word of God... All other sexual activity, all other sexual behavior is sin and goes against God's plan and God's purpose. It's so simple. It's so easy to understand. And really, when you make it as simple as it really is and embrace the truth of God's Word, it eliminates all the ideas it eliminates all of the, the, the pagan thought processes that there are more than two genders or that anything other than a heterosexual monogamous marriage is acceptable. The truth is that two men cannot be married. I gave the disclaimer. Two women cannot be married. They may have a certificate from the state. They may even have found a church or a minister that performed a ceremony that married them. But in God's eyes, they are united in nothing other than their sin, according to the word of God. You say, well, that's mean and that's harsh and that's ugly. The fact that we are cowering away from the truth of God's word is the reason we're in the mess that we're in today. I don't believe it because Spurgeon said it. 
I don't believe it because Calvin wrote it. I don't believe it because a theologian from the 1500s or the 1800s wrote it in a book. I believe it because it is the truth and it is the errancy and the fallibility of the word of God that lays out marriage perfectly for us to understand. You see, marriage does not belong to man. It belongs to God. He owns the institution of marriage. He designed it and he divinely designed it. The idea that people get married just to see how long they can make it or that eventually that their marriage will just sort of fizzle out, become more of a contractual agreement between two roommates is so disrespectful to the idea and the institution that God has divinely designed. It is such a heavy decision. It is such an important thing. You should always pray about who you're going to marry. Parents, the moment that you find out you're pregnant, that there is a baby in your womb, begin to pray at that point for who that person will marry. It's one of the most important things they'll ever decide. God has given marriage eternal implications and really has designed it to be lived out with purpose. It's not just about you being together, having children, uh, having the American dream with two and a half children, and a golden retriever, and a white picket fence. Marriage is so much more than that. And it's so much more because God has given it so much more designation. So what is God's definition of marriage? What is it? Number one, understand that God's definition of marriage is structured. It's structured. This talks about the order. This talks about an attitude of submission. It talks about the beauty of even that. Go to Ephesians 5. Go to the 22nd verse. We're going to read a few verses here, but really pay attention, especially where it applies to you. All the wives in the building, say amen. Amen. Try it again. All the men, the husbands in the building, say amen. Amen. Say it again. Amen. Amen. This will apply to you if you'll listen. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Verse 24 says, Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, Love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. Let me read verse 28 again for you. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall man leave his father and mother, and he shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh." This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Let the church say amen. Amen. Verse 22 says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. 
The writer here in Ephesians 5 has already established in earlier verses the principle of submission. Everyone submits, everyone submits to someone. It is the principle, it is the character, it is the nature of God's kingdom that all of us answer to someone. All of us have someone that we look to for leadership, guidance, and direction. And in God's structure of marriage, the woman is to rely, the woman is to look to the husband in an act of obedience to God, a submissive heart of obedience to follow her husband. Again, this message is not politically correct in 2023. Why is feminism on a rise in such a ginormous way because it goes against the teachings of the word of God. Well, you don't want to empower women. No, I want to elevate women to a place where God puts them in a high place of honor and respect. But Paul applied it first to the wife. And listen to me, if you're here today and you're saved and you're married, you're a Christian wife, this applies to you. Every Christian wife, no matter what her own abilities No matter what her education is, no matter even her knowledge of Scripture, her spiritual maturity, or any other qualifications that might be in relation to those of her husband, she still is to submit to her husband. She is to follow him. And men, be very careful by taking this verse out of context. The submission is not the husband's to command as Napoleon. Don't be a dictator. That's not what this is. This is a willing and loving offer from the wife to follow the leadership of the husband. This is not about you sitting in your lazy chair and taking your cup and going, feel it, feel it. You may get shot. And some of you men already, you're going, hey, you you hearing what he's saying? you listen to that verse? Yours is coming, big boy. (laughs) So in God's structure for marriage, she is to willingly and lovingly submit to her husband. Rolades need to be handed out immediately. But this is the structure of God's idea of marriage. He designed it. It's a willing and loving offer that she makes. And then the Bible qualifies this and says, your own husbands. The Bible limits the wife's submission to the one man. Hear me, one man that God has placed over her. And he also gives a balancing emphasis. And here's the beauty of this. It's a balancing emphasis that she is to submit and to follow the husband, but it is, in the words, if you'll understand it very correctly, it's a possessive submission. In other words, she is giving this willingly and lovingly, this willing to submit, but she's submitting to the man that she possesses in her own way. There's a loving ownership here, and it goes both ways. Listen, this is the best way to say it. She is obeying, she is following, she is submitting to the, to the leadership of her husband, and she's doing it, but she's doing it from a place of ownership to that husband. She owns the possessive tense there. She possesses the man who she's submitting herself to. 
There's a balancing act here that God has perfectly established. And what it means is that there has to be mutual respect. There has to be mutual communication. There has to be mutual understanding that, that this relationship is on both ends. And a Christian wife, because God has called her to this, will chiefly obey the will of God. He even says in the verse, as unto the Lord. Not, not as unto, uh, he gets on my nerves. I promise you, I got on Miranda's nerves today. I said something dumb in the last 48 hours. Mark it down. But in her love and in her willingness to submit, she's not doing it because of who I am. She's doing it because of who He is. As unto the Lord. Again, this is about God receiving glory in this relationship. And it's regardless of her husband's spiritual worthiness or even her, his personal worthiness. She does it for Christ's sake. And the truth is there are some men who are not leading their homes in the right way. They're not being the man that God wants them to be and they're not leading their wives. They are sitting in the chair of Napoleon and they're ordering their home around like they're some sort of five-star general and the rest of them are just peasants that live in the village. That's not God's idea for marriage. You see, the husband is to lead. He is the head. Verse 23 says, the husband is the head. Christ is the head of the church. The husband is the head of the home. And the spirit-filled wife recognizes that her husband's role in giving leadership is not only God-ordained, but it's a reflection of Christ's own loving to his church. There's always authority over everyone. We're people, we're human beings, we're full of emotions and problems and pains, and all of us need some sort of authority over us. And all of us submit to the will of the Father. All of us submit to God's will and God's plan. But even in the home, there is a plan, there is a line of succession, and God has ordained that the husband be the head of the home. He goes on to say that the husbands are as the Savior of the body. Think about what's being said here. Really process this, men, about the challenge that's being laid at your shoulders. As the Lord delivered His church, as He saved the body from the dangers of sin and death and hell, so should the husband provide for his wife. So should the husband protect his wife in all manner of conversation. He should preserve his wife, her integrity, her emotions, her needs. And then he should love his wife, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. This is God's plan and his definition of marriage. So then the goal of the godly husband, who is ordained by God to be the head of the home, understand that your job, your duty is to lead your wife but it's not to lead your wife with militant ways and attitudes. It's to lead your wife towards blessing. Lead your wife towards blessing. If we're to reflect the relationship between Jesus Christ and His bride, the church, 
then everything that Jesus did in providing, protecting, preserving, and loving the church, all of those things that he did in the office work of being the son of God, all of those things led to blessing. The blessing of being a part of the family of God. The blessing of eternal life. The blessing of not having guilt and shame from sin. The blessing of being forgiven. All of his action leads his bride, the church, to blessing. So then husband, when you lead your wife, lead her in providing for her and protecting her and truly preserving her, but do it leading her to a blessing. Bless your wife. Put her in a place of elevated status in your list of priorities and make it as Christ did it for us. How much priority did Jesus give to the church? How much priority even daily does the Holy Ghost of God give to you? Then husbands reflect that and give it to your wife. You bless her by providing, you bless her by protecting, you bless her by preserving, and yes, you bless her by loving her the right way. Verse 32 is the key. If you don't listen to anything else I say today, listen to verse 32 because this is the key that unlocks the definition of marriage. The verse says, this is a great mystery, then there's a colon, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. What is the great mystery? It's the mystery that's not been revealed until the New Testament. And God has perfectly designed marriage. Understand this as an illustration of the relationship between Jesus Christ and the church. Marriage is an illustration. Say that with me. Marriage is an illustration. This is the live action drama. This is a life depicting Christ and his love for the church. Marriage is the unique symbol that dictates the relationship between Christ and the church. Every day is lived out between husband and wife. And it's lived out in a way that puts it on display to the world. Listen to me now. I hope you're paying attention. Your marriage is to be a live action drama that points to the love that Jesus has for the church. That is the point, that is the essence of everything your marriage is, is to be an illustration of Christ's love for the church. So if God is the one who defined marriage and he instituted marriage, then God's the only person who can truly give it meaning. And because of God's definition and because of God's intention with marriage, God's definition of marriage instantly elevates your marriage up out of the human realm and it puts it into the realm of a divine purpose. You see now why it's so important that you pray over who you marry. You see why, now why it's so important that you understand the role and the task of your marriage. It's an illustration It's to be lived out to bring God glory each and every day. So here's what this means. And this is tough for people. It's tough for me. This is tough. But marriage, my marriage, listen now, you ready for this? It's not about me. Mm. Let me say it again. I don't think you heard me. My marriage is not about me. My marriage is not about my happiness. My marriage is not about me being satisfied. 
My marriage ultimately as that reflection of Christ's love for the church, that living illustration, at the end of the day, everything my marriage is actually belongs to God. And he allows me to live in that relationship. He allows me to have my wife in the relationship that we have. And all of that comes down to one thing, that our lives are sold out completely to bringing God glory. What an offensive statement. That my marriage isn't about me and my happiness, my wife and her happiness. When will we learn And when will we start to believe truly that the goal and the purpose, the chief end of our lives on this earth is to glorify God, even in our marriage? When will we embrace John 3.30 and take it seriously? The verse says he must increase, but I must decrease my wants, my desires, my idea, my emotion, my plan. It's all about him, even my marriage to my beautiful wife. Who he has given me to love and to care for. Understand that marriage as defined by God is structured. It's a holy structure. And it's designed in heaven for us to be living here on earth. Number two, it's intimate. Marriage is intimate. Remember what Ephesians 5.25 said. We just read it. Husbands. But it said, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself. He gave himself for what? For it. What is it? Well, thank God today I belong to it. I am the church. The church is not a building. The church is not a place. We have a sanctuary where the church comes, a house of prayer where the church comes to meet We are the church. And according to the word of God, Christ Jesus so loved his bride. Remember now the relationship is described as Jesus as the bridegroom or the husband and the church as the bride. And according to the word of God, he loved the church so much that he gave himself for it. He gave himself for it. The son of God gave himself for you, his bride. Matthew 27, it'll be on your screen, but I take you to the moment where he gave himself for it. This is verse 50 of Matthew 27. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. He yielded the ghost. He gave himself. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake and the rocks rent. That word rent means to tear, to rip apart. The veil in the temple was a curtain and it blocked the presence, the entrance to the most holy place, the holy of holies. In the tearing of the veil, it signified that the way into God's presence was now open to all who believe through a new and living way that came through the death of the bridegroom on the cross. So that he could have intimate relationship with his bride. No longer would it just be the high priest that would have access. 
access to God through the Holy of Holies. No longer would it just be the Sanhedrin or those who could light enough candles or pay enough money, but it would be to whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord and have a relationship of intimacy with God where he knows you personally. You don't have to come to your pastor and ask for permission to talk to God. You don't have to go to your priest and ask for permission to talk to God. The veil was torn and you have access because of the relationship between God and his son and the church is intimate. He wants that relationship. As Christ is the savior of the church, men, love your wife. As Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, love your wife. Husbands, I'll be honest with you, I believe with all of my heart that the true challenge, the pressure is on us. It's on us. We must embrace the call on our lives from God. If we are to be the leaders of our home, if we're to lead our wives, if we're to lead our children, and if the expectation is that we are to emulate Christ Jesus to them, then let me ask you something, husbands. It's just me and you talking now. The wives are out shopping. All the wives say amen. Jessica, say amen. Husbands, let me ask you a question. If we're to emulate Christ, if we're to be an example of Christ in our leadership, in our home, to our wives, then what should the demeanor of the husband be in the home? What should the demeanor be? Let me ask you by asking this. What is the condition of your wife's husband? What's the condition of your wife's husband? What is the man that she is called by God to follow? What's he doing? How's he living? How is he leading her to blessing? Who's leading your wife? What does that look like? Let's put you in her shoes and let's pretend that it's a wheel. And depending on how he's leading his wife, the wheel will be nice and smooth. But where he's failing his wife, there will be a big knob, a big knot in the tire. Are, are, are you experiencing a nice smooth ride of leadership? Or does it feel like you're on a cobblestone road in a horse and buggy? What kind of experience are you giving your wife in your home? With your leadership, who's leading your wife? Who's loving her? So then let's ask ourselves, what does Jesus look like as it pertains to his bride? What is the attitude of Christ Jesus towards his church? It's going to get real. What's the attitude of Christ Jesus towards his bride? The Bible says, follow his lead. So then what is the attitude of Jesus towards his bride? According to the word of God, he died, he gave himself. There was no room for selfishness on the cross. Here's the thing that we're going to have to just swallow, and we're going to have to swallow it fast. It's not about us or our happiness or our satisfaction. It's about leading our home and leading our wives towards blessing. What would you imagine the tone of voice would be of Jesus Christ to his bride? What's the tone of voice? What's the level of kindness of Christ towards his bride? 
And lastly, what is the depth of forgiveness that Christ was willing to offer to his bride? The Bible says, follow his example. So, husband, wife, God has ordained that you are to illustrate, to actually live this out. And that you do it to the entire world and what's public and that you do it in private. And the truth is, anything else in the life of saved people, anything that does not give God glory according to His Word, your marriage can quickly become a lie. Because marriage is not what we make it. Marriage is marriage. God has defined it. The question is, are you even playing the part of the husband or the wife? Or is your marriage just a lie? You see, we can all post on Facebook. We can all post on Instagram. Seven years strong and still going. Take the selfie. Put the rose in your mouth. Oh yeah. It's good living here. And then as soon as the post is done. Hmm. She thinks. And you may be able to fool your mom and your dad. You may be able to fool your pastor, those that you go to church with. But when the doors are closed and even the kids can't hear the argument, God's there and He hears. Husbands, He knows what goes through our mind. You say, Pastor, you don't know what it's like living with that woman. Yeah, but God gave you her and He gave her to you and it doesn't change the expectation of what He said. Wife, are you obeying? Are you submitting to the will of God? Remember, we're not talking about a, a Napoleon figure of a totalitarian rule. We're talking about a loving relationship, willing to follow your man. And let me be honest with you. If you want to encourage the, the husband in the home, the man of the home, there is nothing more encouraging than when you validate him by saying thank you for your leadership, even when it makes you mad. Well, pastor, you don't know how stupid he is. I probably do. <laughs> we are men. We say things that it's just like toothpaste. Rory, it comes out, it's out of the tube, and I can't get it back in the tube without making a terrible mess. Try to squeeze out a bunch of Colgate and try to pack the Colgate back in the tube. You're going to get covered. And men, we are prone letting all that toothpaste fly before we've had a serious moment to think. Yet God requires us to love each other, respect each other, and humbly ask God to give us what we need to go the next day for His glory. Every aspect, every day. So then husbands, it all comes down to this. What is your attitude toward your wife? What is your tone of voice towards her even when a mistake has been made. What's your level of kindness towards your wife? What is your willing depth of forgiveness that you're able to show towards your wife? It's a convicting thing, but it's our duty to God and to each other to follow His will for our lives, even in our marriage. Number three, it's intimate. It's structured, yes, 
It's intimate. Number two. But number three, it's permanent. It's permanent. There are a lot of people I love deeply with all of my heart who I love and who I respect. I regard them as some of my best friends in the whole world. And they're divorced people. And you see, every pastor's blog, every pastor's magazine, every opinion piece that talks about divorce in these days, almost every one of them will tell you, don't go there, pastor. We're too far down the road. There are too many people in church who have been divorced or who will be divorced. And if you're not careful, you'll alienate your entire church by using the D word in church. With all the love and with all the compassion that I have in my heart, that's why we are in the mess that we are in. And there are many divorced, godly people who even maybe in this room today would love you enough to tell you the truth and warn you that you do not want to go down that road if at all possible. But understand this to everyone that's here today or worshiping online. Understand that divorce is not the end of your existence. Divorce is not the end of you. God can forgive. God can restore. God can grow a person. And many, many of these godly people who have been restored in Christ have now even been remarried. And God has given them a great chance, a wonderful opportunity to illustrate grace and mercy and forgiveness. With all love and compassion, we must, without apology, embrace the full picture of God's design for marriage. It's structured, it's intimate, but according to God, it's permanent. It's permanent. Matthew 5.32 says this, But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, put away is another term for divorce, but I say to you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery. Mark 10.12 says, And if a woman shall put away her husband and be married to another, she committeth adultery. In Hebrews 13.4, marriage is honorable in all. And the bed undefiled, the whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. 90% or more of divorces in the church begin with sexual immorality and promiscuity. And if all the people that are here today who have been divorced and now remarried living for God, they would want you to hear the words coming out of my mouth, guard your marriage with everything that you have. Amen. Guard it. Protect it. If you understand this verse, and, and, and we have to talk about this, and, and I know there's children here, and I know there's teenagers here, but listen to me. The world is making a concerted effort even at 12 and 13 years old to trap the minds of your children as it pertains to what a sexual relationship is supposed to look like. The church has got to start talking about this and do it now. 
You can't let public educators be the ones responsible for teaching your children about what God says about sex and a marriage. God has defined it and it is for his glory and his purpose that he has instituted this to, uh, for us to be together. And he owns the rights to every marriage. So this verse implicates that all sexual promiscuity of any kind outside of a man and a woman being married that any other sexual activity is sin according to God. You say, well, pastor, that's too old-fashioned. That doesn't work anymore. It's 2023. No, we've just gotten really good at ignoring the truth. Now our children are paying the price. Teenagers are paying the price. It's time that the church stand for what's right once again and not apologize for the truth. The relationship that God has ordained for men and women who are married is something so special. It's something that's so cherished. It's to be protected at all costs. And young men, listen to me. Listen to me now. All of you young men who are dating or want to date and want to be married, maybe even you're here and you have a girlfriend. Good stuff. But in all love, get your hands off of a woman that's not yet your wife. Get your hands off of her. She doesn't belong to you. She's not your chattel. She's not your possession. Well, pastor, we're, uh, you know, Facebook, Instagram, we're listed in there as a relationship, you know. We cool. No. You don't even own your own car. So get your hands off of somebody's daughter before you get shot. That's one of God's children. And you may be able to hide it from your mama and your daddy and your pastor, but God's in that pickup truck with you. God's on your private chats online. Uh-oh. Boy, it's getting even more quiet. But get your hands off of that child of God that doesn't belong to you. Young ladies, listen to me now in love. Don't allow that young man to put you in a compromising position. He's 17 and he can't even add three plus seven. He doesn't know what love is. Be patient, wait, pray and ask God to bring you the right mate, to bring you the right person. And then on your wedding day, when you stand here in this church where you should be married, in this church, and you get the opportunity in purity and holiness for your husband to do what Jesus did on the cross for his bride and pull back the veil signifying your right to her, then in that moment you can say, yes, I did it. I stayed pure. I stayed holy. I stayed right. I kept my virginity. And now I can enjoy the relationship with my husband that God has ordained. That's the way it's supposed to work. You say, well, pastor, take me and show me the people who are actually living that in 2023. I don't know. I don't know. I want to shake their hand and I want to thank them. And you see, I want my children to live better than their daddy did. 
One day I want my grandchildren to live better than their granddaddy did. You should want better for your babies than what you lived in. And just because you wrecked your life doesn't mean that you have to project your junk on your babies. For the love of God, point them to truth. Say, mom and daddy messed up. And would you live for Jesus every day of your life and beg God to show you who you're supposed to marry? Part of this is we got to get over ourselves and realize the implications of the future of our church and our families. Why say all that? Because we are trading away what doesn't belong to us in the first place. And God today, the Holy Ghost, is reporting some items missing. There's some things that should still be intact that are not intact and God's been robbed of glory. And there may be some marriages here today that are holding on by a thread. And divorce is the only word you can think of when you think of the one you're married to. Would this be your day to surrender and to beg God to do what only He can? You see, God has a definition of marriage. He has an expectation of marriage. And what we're all to do today is to embrace His love and His plan for all of us. It's demonstrated in the relationship that He gave you. If you're here today and your wife or your husband is with you, say amen. amen. There are so many people that wish they could say amen. Their husbands are in heaven. Their wives are in heaven. Divorce came by their doorstep. And their hearts are breaking. This is an opportunity for Trinity to get real about marriage. And beg God to fortify the one institution, the one institution that He has perfectly laid out for every aspect of your life, in the life of your marriage. When was the last time you and your wife, you and your husband prayed together? I'm not talking about, Lord, thank you for this grilled barbecue chicken. Amen. I'm talking about genuinely got on your face before God together. And beg God to touch each other. Let me help you with something. One of the greatest tools that God has shown me in the last two or three years. I don't do it every day. I can't say that. But I sure do try to pray with my wife before I leave the house. You know what I've learned? That if I will listen to her pray, I always start out usually... I'll pray first, I'll pray for her. And then I'll ask her to pray and I want her to pray for me and I want her to pray for whatever's on her heart, but I want audience to what she's saying to God. I have that right, I'm her husband. And sometimes the things that she cannot even tell me, she doesn't have the words to say. She can tell him. And if you get to know your wife good enough, you'll learn to hear those inflections in her voice. You'll begin to know when something is not right. And I'll hear her pray and I'll hear a red flag. I'll hear it just fly fast. Oh, something in her heart is hurting. Some, something in her life just is off. 
I'll let her finish praying. And it doesn't matter if I have a meeting scheduled with the president of the United States. I do not leave that house until I've looked at my bride and I say, honey, talk to me. What's going on? How can I help you pray for what's hurting your heart? Have I done something to offend you or to hurt you? It's the greatest opportunity to truly love each other and to be intimate with one another. Intimacy is just not about what happens in a married couple's bedroom. Intimacy is about knowing them better than even they know themselves and loving them each and every day just as Jesus loved us. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Here's how I want this to happen today. And we'll probably do this for the next couple of weeks as we preach through this sermon on marriage, this series. Men, I want you to lead the way. If you're a, a, a man that's full of faith and full of the Holy Ghost, deacons and pastors, I want you to lead the way. I want you to grab your wife by the hand and I want you to bring her down front and I want you to pray over her. Grab your wife by the hand. If you can't get up, if you can't grab your wife's hand and come to pray, there might be something wrong today and this is a great opportunity to get it right. If you're not able to kneel, there's some chairs open here on the front. Young men that are on this front row, would y'all help me and allow some space for them? Thank you. And husbands, when you get here with your wife, we'll spread out all over the sanctuary. Just find your place. Keep pushing in the back there. Go all the way around. Fill in as tight as you can. If you can't come and you have to pray from right there, do so. But husbands, I want you to pray for your wife. I want you to pray for her out loud. I want her to hear you pray for her. And when you're done, wives, would you pray for your husbands? Ask God to give him what he needs as he leads your home. Maybe there's some apologies that need to happen today. Maybe there's some fights that even happened this weekend. And God's got you right here where he wants you to, to say, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Spend some time alone with the Lord. And pray one for another. And love each other. Even as Christ loved the church.
receive his grace to love all men in spite of all our differences may your words be filled with life that crumble walls of you go